Hey, everybody out there in quarantine land. Welcome to Quarantine Stuff You Should Know. I am your host, AJ Hannenberg, and I'm happy to see you. I'm just happy that you're here. I'm just super overjoyed. I'm, I might be a little giddy because it's really late as I record this, and I'm just so ready to go to bed, and so I'm actually pretty thankful that this story is even shorter somehow than the last one. The next one, though, I took a look ahead, and the next one is pretty long, and then we have sort of an outro for day one. Uh, if you are just joining us, none of that made sense to you. Um, during quarantine, I'm doing a story a day or a story every few days from the Decameron, which is 100 stories uh, written during the time of the Black Plague. And the shell story around these 100 stories is that 10 young people, seven girls and three guys have gone to shelter from the Black Death and they tell each other stories while they're in quarantine. And it seemed like an applicable thing to do while I was in quarantine as well. So I'm bringing you stories from quarantine, and we are on story nine of day one of the Decameron. If you are interested in this podcast, well, this is a little bit different than it usually is. Usually it's me and two other guys, and we're called Classical Stuff, you should know. And you should go back out and you should go back and check out all of our previous episodes. We talk about all sorts of things, usually books and philosophy and teaching and education and all kinds of fun stuff. So go check that out. Uh, I'm not, you're not going to get any of that here. I'm just going to tell you a story. So if you want some really deep brain enriching stuff, that's not going to happen, especially at this time in the wee hours of the morning. Okay, so let's get started with story nine. Well, Elissa was next in line and she didn't wait to be commanded to tell her story, but she began festively and with high spirits. And she said, it often happens that one single word sort of uttered off the cuff can totally transform a person when all kinds of rebuke and punishment have failed, right? Something said, some word that somebody just sort of drops out of the air will totally change their attitude. And that was made clear by Loretta's story, the one previously told. And I'm going to demonstrate it with another short story. So it happened that in the time of the first king of Cyprus, after the Holy Land had been conquered by Godfrey of Bouillon, it happened that a noble lady from Gascony went on pilgrimage to the sepulchre, and when she arrived in the Holy Land, she was raped by ruffians. She grieved and decided to seek a little redress from the king of the Holy Land, and as she asked around, she was told that all her efforts would be wasted. This king was pretty worthless. He was so faint-hearted and of little account that he wouldn't punish any wrongdoing in his city, and... Even worse, the coward wouldn't punish people who did wrongs to him. In fact, if anyone was having a bad day or was just randomly disgruntled, he would vent his feelings by shaming the king and mocking the crown. And when the lady heard this, she despaired. Uh, she knew she would never get her revenge, but she decided to console herself by going and rebuking the king and maybe turning him around a little bit. So she presented herself before him in tears, and she said, my lord, I do not come before you with the expectation of receiving any form of redress for the wrong that has been done to me. But in compensation for my injury, I beg you to teach me how you manage to endure the wrongs that I have been led to understand are done to you, so that I might learn from you how to bear my own with patience. For God knows if I could, I'd gladly give them all to you, since you're so good at putting up with such things. And the king was ashamed. And in that moment, he seemed to finally come alive. He was like a man rousing from sleep. 
And so not only did he punish the horrible injury done to the woman, but he prosecuted to the utmost rigor of the law all those who offended from then on out, even those who offended the honor of the crown. And that's the end of the story. I told you it was a quick one. It, in the book, it's like, even, even on a Kindle, it's three pages. It's really, really short. And that's Kindle pages, so they're, they're small. The, the thought that this brought up for me, the only, the only takeaway I took from this one, is that I think it's easy for Americans to believe that any form of punishment for mocking the crown is just a form of oppression. And, and I think it certainly can be, but it never occurred to me that it might be sort of expected of a king to defend his high stature when people mock him. I think it's a it's part and parcel of our democracy that we get to make fun of anybody who is in charge. But I can see that the perhaps the motives for punishing mockery of the crown isn't solely oppression, or at least isn't always solely oppression, right? I would I would punish a kid in my classroom for making fun of me just because it's not very cool. So I can see, I guess, where they're coming from, although I think it's a really quick slippery slope into into that sort of oppression that might come with punishing free speech, I guess. I like free speech. I'm a big fan, big fan of free speech. So if I don't know where I'm going, it's late. I like free speech and uh, yeah, I like having the right to mock the people in charge without fearing punishment, I guess. I'm going to bed. It's I'm, I'm done with this. All right. <laughs> I hope you're having a good quarantine out there. It's late for me and uh, I will see you tomorrow. See you later. Bye-bye.